I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and you're listening to the 10th part of my sermonic review of the biblical design of gender, in which my point is that God tells men to have marital relations only with their one wife because of the feelings and possessiveness for those with whom they have intimate contact that he designed into women. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. January 31st, our lesson is our 10th episode in the series on the biblical design of gender. And the text is in the 21st chapter of the book of Genesis, verses 5 through 10. And the Bible says this. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So, Lord, give us the words to to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity and with boldness and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear this message today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful and intelligent manner. Now, our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can succeed the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion on the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham decided to leave Canaan and journey into the Palestine. He settled in a town named Gerar, which was part of the Philistine territory, with his entourage and his 90-year-old pregnant wife. Now, Now, before we go farther, let me say that Abraham was a warrior and had been the protector of Sodom and Gomorrah before they were destroyed, which may have been one of the reasons that God consulted with Abraham before destroying them. Genesis chapter 14, verse 8 through 16 tells us, 
and the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sidim against Cherolamah, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Aramathel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth tree of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and the brother of Anner, and they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobar, which is north of Damascus. So Abram brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. So Abram was a warrior, and when Abram moved to Gerar, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, came to meet this warlord that had defeated the four kings and moved into his territory. At their meeting, the king became fascinated by the unusual case of Sarah who was an uncharacteristically beautiful 90-year-old pregnant woman. Now, powerful men are attracted to beauty, and Abimelech was no exception. And the most outwardly attractive parts of women are those that give evidence to their fertility, and Sarah, at this point in her life, was a stunning specimen of reproduction. Now, although Abimelech had a large harem, Abimelech was a collector, and collectors go after rare objects. And Abimelech got the green light from Abraham to go after Sarah. Genesis chapter 20 verse 2 says, Now Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. Now I'm still trying to figure this out. God told Abraham that Sarah was going to have his child of the promise. Sarah is pregnant with the child, so Abraham decides to move and once again give his wife to a foreign king. Now, I don't get it, but although Abraham gave Sarah up, God did not. Genesis chapter 20, verse 3 through 7 records, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I withheld you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. 
But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So God defended Sarah's honor with Abimelech directly. Abimelech pled ignorance of Sarah's marital status and asked for a chance to repair his error, and God gave it to him. But Abimelech's beef is not with God, but with Abraham. And when Abimelech asked Abraham why Abraham deceived him about Sarah, Abraham responded with the same lame, lame lie that he used on the Pharaoh about being afraid of being killed. But Abraham was a warlord, and his army was good enough to defeat four kings at once. So it's doubtful that Abraham was really so afraid of a fight with Abimelech that he would give up his wife. And I think that Abraham had a different motivation. Genesis chapter 20, verse 14 and 16 records, Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. Now listen to an earlier passage of scripture that is somewhat similar to this one. Genesis chapter 12, verse 14 through 19 and 13, verse 1 and 2 says, So it was when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and committed her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, why have you done this to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now, Abraham took the riches of Egypt from that land, and then through Abimelech added to them the riches of Philistia. Sheep, oxen, male and female servants, and a thousand pieces of silver, in addition to that which Abraham already had, gave Abraham a nice bank account. Neither the Pharaoh nor Abimelech nor Abraham challenged each other militarily, but the Pharaoh and Abimelech ended up giving Abraham big money. Now, the only pattern that I can see, and the only conclusion to which I can come, is that Abraham intentionally used Sarah's beauty and fertility to get rich. And Sarah went along with the program. And that observation brings us to God's admonition to wives based upon the conduct of Sarah. As 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-6 through 6 tells us, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. 
Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now Abraham asked Sarah to tell two different kings that he was, that she was his sister rather than his wife, so that they could take her into their harems. And Sarah did it. That, my friend, is some serious submission. But according to 1 Peter 3, Sarah won her husband without a word by being submissive. But I don't think that Sarah was being submissive because she thought that going to various hands was necessarily good for her. But as verse 5 of 1 Peter 3 tells us, Sarah was submissive because she was trusting in God. You see, neither men nor women know the outcome of any plan that they decide to put into motions. Proverbs 16 and 9 tells us, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now we all have the opportunity to do that which we think will be the most effective, but God instructed Sarah to be submissive to Abraham and follow his lead. So Sarah decided to trust God to guide Abraham. She certainly had her own opinions and plans for Abraham, just as he had plans for her. But ultimately, she called Abraham Lord and had confidence in his relationship with God. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 16 tells us, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of God with idols for you are the temple of the living God as God has said I will dwell in them and walk among them I will be their God and they shall be my people. And in order for a woman to have confidence that submission to her husband is intelligent, she must be sure that her husband is a believer in Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter six tells us that God is dwelling with believers and walking among us. And Proverbs 16 and nine tells us that the Lord is directing the steps of those that believe in him. And although we may understand the direction of the Lord, we need to follow him. You may remember an incident in the Garden of Gethsemane. God directed Jesus Christ to give himself to the Jews, and that looked like a poor decision to the disciples. Peter so disagreed with the decision that he started a knife fight to protect Jesus from the consequence of it. Ultimately, however, Jesus Christ's decision to be submissive to God caused us all to be saved from the penalty of sin. So I guess it worked out pretty well. So Sarah submits to Abraham 
enters Abimelech's harem and is protected from harm by God and comes out to the good. And after the drama with Abimelech is over, Sarah completes her gestation period and Isaac is born. Our text, chapter Genesis chapter 21, verse 5 through 8 tells us, Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. So it's a great day for Sarah. After suffering with a lack of fulfillment for years, she finally had the experience of bringing a son into the world. And when a child nurses at his mother's breast, the oxytocin flows and a special bond is formed between them. I once read a book written by a woman who had no desire to have children until she reached the age of 35 years of age. During her younger years, she was a high academic achiever and became a college professor and enjoyed her career. But she woke up one morning with the unbidden desire to have a child. She didn't know where the desire came from, but she knew that she had it, although she did not want to give up her career. So she asked her husband whether or not he wanted to be a father, and he enthusiastically replied in the affirmative. Well, if we do this, I'm not giving up my career, she said. I'm not becoming a nanny for a baby. And we'll have to split the child care responsibilities right down the middle. For every diaper that I change, you'll have to change one. This is either going to be a 50-50 deal or I'm not doing it. Her husband agreed. They became pregnant and she had a baby boy. Now, she did not intend to breastfeed the baby, but somehow that information did not get to the nurses that were attending to the child after the birth. So they brought the baby to her so that she could nurse him. At first she protested, but the nurse told her that it would take them some time to prepare a proper formula appropriate for the baby, and the baby was hungry. Just try it. It's the most natural thing in the world, said the nurse. So the woman complied, and when she looked into her son's eyes as he drew nourishment from her body, a feeling came over her that she had never experienced before. She loved her husband, but the way that this little boy made her feel as he suckled at her breast was more intense than any feeling that she had ever had. She and the little boy were bonded by the breastfeeding experience, and she realized that she wanted to take care of this little life more than anything. She ended up giving up her teaching career to stay home to take care of her baby. And a whole generation and a half of women have been beguiled by the suggestion that that which they have to give their child is easily replaced by a nanny, a babysitter, or a daycare worker. But the bond between mother and child is crucial in shaping the child's psyche. When an infant has his mother available to constantly comfort him and take care of his needs, he develops confidence in his ability to thrive in his environment because of that relationship. 
But infants are not verbal. And when they are neglected, they cannot register an intellectual protest. All they can do is cry. And when their cries do not elicit a response, they eventually become exhausted and give up and develop the perspective that the world is a neglectful place. Little psyches are being misshapen in daycare centers around the country because the children in them are too young to develop in an institutionalized setting. Formal education starts with a half day away from mom at five years of age because it is at that age when the psyche of a child has developed sufficiently to be away from the security of his mother. And when a child has to leave his mother's care earlier than five years of age, he is generally not psychologically ready for the experience. He may not protest verbally because he cannot, but he still is not ready. And if the amount of care that he received is not ad is adequate to keep him alive, he is able to survive the experience, but he does not develop the optimum emotional stability that he might otherwise have. And in the apocryphal book of 2 Maccabees, chapter 7, verse 7, it tells us that the nursing period for Hebrew mothers is generally about three years. So Sarah probably followed the Hebrew norm and nursed Isaac for three years and then weaned him off the breast, after which time Abraham made a great feast for him. But Genesis 21 verse 9 tells us, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Now let's recap the situation. Before Ishmael was born, Abraham's heir was Eliezer of Damascus, his chief servant. Sarah offered Abraham her maid Hagar as a surrogate mother so that Abraham could father a child to be his heir. heir rather. And Abraham took up Sarah on her offer of Hagar, and while Hagar was pregnant, Hagar and Sarah fell out. The oxytocin response in Hagar flowed for Abraham when they had marital relations, and she became possessive of him. Hagar imagined that she would be closer to Abraham than was Sarah because she was the mother of Abraham's child. But Hagar found out that men do not have the same hormonal bonding process as do women. But men bond by a decision to do so, and Abraham had already decided to bond to Sarah. Without hesitation, Abraham sacrificed the feelings of Hagar for those of Sarah, the woman that he loved and had married. Abraham puts Hagar under Sarah's rule, and Hagar found out that she had to be submissive to her mistress to stay in the camp. So Hagar bore Ishmael for Abraham and remade Sarah's maid while her son was Abraham's heir. Sarah, Hagar, and Abraham made for a strange love triangle, but they held it together for Ishmael's sake. And when God came down to tell Abraham and Sarah that Isaac was going to be born, Abraham pleaded with God to just accept Ishmael as his heir, because just as Abraham was bonded to Sarah, his wife, Abraham was bonded to Ishmael as his son. The Bible records the event of God instituting the covenant of circumcision with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse 23 through 25, which says, 
So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Now every male in the camp was circumcised, but only Ishmael is named. Ishmael is Abraham's son of the flesh. The bond between Abraham and Ishmael was strong as Abraham was preparing Ishmael to take over the responsibility of being chief of the camp. But unfortunately, Ishmael never nursed at Sarah's breast and the bond between Ishmael of Sarah did not exist because of the tension between Ishmael's mother and Sarah. Sarah does not become hostile to Ishmael until the birth of Isaac, the child of the promise with whom Sarah has bonded for three years and three years of breastfeeding makes Isaac's mother very protective. She was even akin to a mother bear as she protected Isaac and Ishmael was the odd man out. He was the, he, he was, he was the only son of the chief. Abraham was teaching and mentoring him, but Isaac has become Ishmael's competition. Isaac was only three and was still under his mother's jurisdiction since he was depending upon her for sustenance, but Ishmael could see his dad's attention turning toward his little half brother and away from him. And the situation came to a head when Abraham made a big fuss over the fact that Isaac was eating solid food and was no longer on the breast. At the feast, Ishmael said, what's the big deal? So now he can eat cereal. Can he count or throw a spear or wield a sword? I can. What's the big deal about a baby that's just learning to eat? Now that was a mistake. Ever since Isaac took the breast and those hormones flowed through her body, Sarah was waiting for a reason to get rid of Ishmael, who would be a rival to Isaac. The fact that Abraham and Israel were bonded was irrelevant to Sarah. Isaac was her child and was to be the next chief of the tribe. Suddenly, Sarah didn't like Hagar or Israel very much anymore. And Genesis 21 and 10 tells us, Therefore, Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. And this verse is written in a way that shows you the intensive intensity of Sarah. The phrase, this bondwoman and her son, relegated both Hagar and Ishmael to the status of a slave. Sarah could have named the bondwoman and her son, just as the scripture named Ishmael during the episode of circumcision, but Sarah only named Isaac, who in her mind is Abraham's only heir. Sarah has regretted the day that she suggested Abraham father a child since the day that Hagar first gave her a problem, and she has been waiting for a chance to get this woman out of their lives. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, Jesus tells us, 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. It is wise to never come between a man and his wife, or a woman and her husband. God has made them one flesh, and they are not to be separated. Now, Hagar was not at fault. She had no choice but to submit to the command of her mistress to bear her bear a child by her mistress's husband. But the fact that she had no choice other than coming between Sarah and Abraham did not shield Hagar from the consequences of Sarah's wrath. Abraham exercised his plan to give Sarah to the kings, and God blessed, and God blessed uh, his plan and God blessed and increased his situation Abraham's plan looked shaky but it worked out well Sarah exercised her plan to give Hagar to Abraham and God increased her situation but the increase was not a blessing Sarah's plan did not work out so well but the same Bible that tells wives to submit to their husbands also tells husbands to love their wives, and this case is no exception. Men can't always do that which we want to do, or even that which we think is best, especially if it pertains to our wives, because we have to understand that our wives feel a certain way, and they may not be able to overcome their feelings. God tells us to only have one wife, and to have marital relations with only her because of the feelings that he has designed into women and the possessiveness that they feel for those with whom they have intimate contact. And we should follow God's instructions in this matter as some things are to be avoided because when done, they cannot be fixed. Now God knew from the day that Abraham lay with Hagar that this day was coming. So after Sarah demanded that Abraham get rid of Hagar and Ishmael, Genesis 21, 11 and 12 records, and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son, but God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the land or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Abraham was bonded with Ishmael, but men are bonded volitionally because men have to make objective decisions for the best good of their organization. God allowed Abraham to bond with Ishmael so that Abraham could practice feeling the emotion of having to give up that which you love. Because in our next episode, Abraham's emotions and will will be put to the test. But even as God commands Abraham to let Ishmael go, God comforts Abraham by promising him that he makes provision for Ishmael just as he has made provisions for Abraham himself. Genesis 21, 13 and 14 records, 
Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Ephesians 5.25 tells us husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ gave his very life for the church out on the hill called Calvary. He suffered, bled, and died that the sins of those in the church might be forgiven. So brothers, let's remember to always keep our wives' feelings uppermost in our minds as we make those decisions that we have to make. And let us make the sacrifice even as Jesus did, to rise every morning thinking of how we can give ourselves for our wives, to make our wives glad to be alive and glad to be married to us. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson, and we ask you, Lord, that you would allow us to understand the love triangle that existed between Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and the tragedy in the lives of Hagar and Ishmael that it caused. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to have an understanding of that which you are telling us in your word and to conform our lives to that which you say, because we know that the warnings that you give us are not given to us to dampen our fun, but because your word tells us the best way for us to live. And by following it, we can avoid all the trouble that the devil has in mind for us along the path to heaven. And now that we think of all that in the house today, and we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place, and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and God. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.